Hello everyone, I'm Thomas from Daft Punk. Random access memories, Daft Punk. Daft Punk and Thomas Angui from Daft Punk. There you go, Daft Punk. We assume that's Daft Punk under those helmets. Hello everyone, I'm Emmanuel from Daft Punk. Daft Punk mixes of Daft Punk. Daft Punk! Let's get back to the to Daft Punk. It was because of, you know, Daft Punk. Daft Punk. Daft Punk! Daft Punk! Hello, robots, big and small, from around the world. It's time to get lucky just one more time to prove you're human. After all, on this voyage we're taking. <laughs> <laughs> it's dumb. It's, you're doing it. Yeah, you're, still, yeah. you're keeping it up. You you're doing it. You committed to adding a new <laughs> pun, a wordplay Every single episode, you've done it. This is da- This is the Daft Punk podcast called the Live 2021 of Daft Punk Co- Podcast. I'm Andy. I'm Darren. I'm Devin. And we are three best friends who can't get rid of, can't, we're, ne- we're three best friends who simply can't get enough of can't talking about. Can't get rid about. of th- our thoughts about <laughs> Daft Punk. We, cannot, we can't get rid of our thoughts about Daft Punk. We have, we have intrusive thoughts so about we these two to, friends. We have to put them on recorded digital platforms for you to the hear too. Close, the family and friends in our lives have simply gotten sick of us talking about these two French robots. So now we're talking into microphones and blasting it to you, our loyal listeners. These thoughts, they build up in me each week, and I get swollen with them, and what we're doing here is lancing that pimple. <laughs> I, get <laughs> I get swollen with swollen that pimple. I, am, I, have a lot of, I have a lot of thoughts up here, and this is us just uh, taking my, a little pin and just uh, squeezing all these thoughts yeah, out. My, great, great, great. <laughs> my, my doctor described me as engorged with love of Daft Punk. Engorged with love of Daft Punk. I have to I'm exp- medically engorged. I have to express my <laughs> Daft Punk glands once a week by talking about them with my oh, favorite geez. friends. Oh, Jeez, oh, <laughs> um, this is a prescription. This is Daft yeah. Punk. This act, this podcast was actually prescribed to me <laughs> to express my Daft Punk glands. <laughs> <laughs> um, otherwise, I do it in the um, the car on accident, and it stinks. <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> um, so uh, this is a phenomenal week for uh, getting uh, listener mail, guys. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. It's good to hear. Um, uh, fans might remember a week ago that I put out a call. I said that I'd give a free t-shirt to any fan, the first fan, who mailed us a picture uh, that they drew of the robots kissing. And it took one day for our new friend Danny from Bolivia to answer the call. Danny's a big uh, Daft Punk fan. She um, she did uh, a picture of them kissing inspired by a german painting called the kiss from gustav klimt and she said daft punk will always be a huge inspiration not only their music but their entire creative process uh, of this duo it has not been easy but every time i have a creative block i listen to the robots and the ideas come by themselves nothing like uh uh, nothing like starting uh, work to listen to harder better faster stronger to motivate yourself and she says that this is the first drawing she's ever made of them and she says Shame on her. That's great. That's yeah, awesome. so we, I, this so, was so cool. Very I was really cool. Someone from Bolivia this. mailed us a picture. So That's we incredible. we uh, we shared that to our social media. So if you uh, go and follow us on the social media, you'll see the picture. Uh, Instagram, a live twenty twenty one podcast. We're on Facebook too. It's all everywhere. And yeah, it's great. It's a great pick. Yeah. Um, she said she was surprised to find out 
that there's a lot of this stuff on the internet. And uh, when she said that, I googled Daft Punk kissing, and boy, oh boy, <laughs> there sure are. Yeah, yeah, yeah Andy's never googled that before. I've so. ne- <laughs> no, I have. No, I can't stop. <laughs> <laughs> there's a lot of there's a lot of cartoons of them kissing. There's a lot of um, uh, cartoons of them kissing um, without the helmets on too. <laughs> yeah, people. There's a lot of Daft Punk fans out there that really want to know what it looks like. For these guys to kiss. We host a lot of uh, podcasts about cartoons to kiss. <laughs> <laughs> but that's not all. We got another. We got a, um, a, a message from Rachel in California. And uh, she said, thank you for giving Dafters a chance to listen to each album and song while analyzing what DP could have been thinking about with each of their masterpieces. She says she's a fun story, but um, uh, she says it's long, so she's taking some time to put it together awesome. for me so this is so, a pre a pre-story yeah. story a pre- yeah, this, so, is a, this is a qualifier email for the one that's going to come in the future yeah that's so, awesome um, i'm excited for that so there is a another longer message coming from rachel soon i can't wait um michael gilmore uh said he works at barnes and noble and through act uh some act of uh, divine a vinyl copy of ram came in and instead of letting uh, a barnes and noble customer scoop that up he he held it for himself so good work on that yeah awesome. that rocks um i've seen a lot of people uh, crate digging stuff recently like just local record shops not realizing that a, a copy of a live 2007 on vinyl goes is going for like $300 and people yeah. finding them and stuff. So if you see anything out there, scoop it up, folks. And mail it to us. And mail it to and us mail it for to free us. and you pay shipping. Uh, Michael said um, when the news broke, he briefly considered doing his own Daft Punk podcast because he was surprised to find out there wasn't such a thing but he says he's grateful that we did because we are putting the time in to, he uh, would not have been able to or maybe what wouldn't be interested in doing because yeah it's a lot of work putting these uh, these scripts together so I'm really grateful for Michael to uh to say that uh, we're doing a good job. Thank you. That's awesome. Well, tell him if he changes his mind and he does get two friends to put together a podcast with him, we can do like a Sharks versus Jets style fight <laughs> in the street. Yeah. And we, can, uh, we can, we can, winner takes all of podcasts. We can do it. Yeah. We can do like a hashtag Team Tomas, hashtag yeah. Team Guimond. Thing. Yeah. We will happily <laughs> adopt you as our bitter rivals that we hate if you do uh, that. Um, <laughs> uh, book Frindle where he needed an enemy to make it happen yeah you rivals make each other better Ma- rivals make each other better absolutely that's true then that's why um to this day daft punk and chemical brothers will fight in the street if they ever see each other Bitter rivals. <laughs> just kidding <laughs> just kidding um amoxa uh, uh, a guy who makes music under the name amoxa uh um said he also one of his hobbies is to read all the interviews and stuff uh he let us know that in our homework episode that it's a talk box that uh, that Tomas is using in that clip mm, of him yeah. doing uh, uh, around the world uh, at and he said it's at the one one three Fautlemerd recording studio, which means like shit house, right? Fautlemerd. <laughs> I don't know. Lemerd, Lemerd, uh, the Lemerd family is the uh, the family in uh, Sean's Han- Sean Hanlon's the Detroit uh, Sean Hanlon's yeah. Mikey Brown's the Detroit musical. That's Lemerd. So I would imagine it is a uh, play on that um but Omaxa said he's going to uh send us any more um info as we go on he just started the podcast so it's nice to hear from a new listener yeah and we got some un- wonderful stuff on uh freaking uh 
uh, Instagram. Uh, an Australian music producer named Solo said he uh, he's loving the project and um, that um, Daft Punk changed his perception on what it is to be an artist and uh, and always protect your art. Yep. So that's nice. We love hearing from other artists and people. And uh, our friend Larry on Instagram messaged us a track by track uh, analysis and theory about what random access memories means. Uh, and his uh, theory is that it's a space opera about artificial intelligence uh, gaining sentience. Uh, and it's really in-depth, so we can't go through all of it. But he put a ton of thought into that. So that's always cool to see. I'm very excited to read that. Yeah. Uh, I I can I can agree with you. We'll we'll talk about Ram when we get to Ram, <laughs> but I'm totally on board with your analysis. Yeah, yeah. So it's uh, like I said, an awesome week. So many people reached out to us this week. Uh, we love it. It's one of my favorite things about this show that fans from around the world are connecting with us, sharing their stories, sharing their art, sharing their music, uh, um, sharing their anecdotes uh, or favorite stories about the band. So if you're out there and you have something interesting to say about Daft Punk, or honestly, if you have anything even that not that interesting to share about Daft Punk, send it along. Info at Alive2021.com is the email address, and we love hearing from you. Absolutely. Yeah. And if you want one of our two French robots t-shirts like we're sending to Danny for free, Alive2021.com. Do it. Yeah. Or else. Do it or else. Coward. Do it or else. Cowards. Who wouldn't want to wear a shirt that why says Why haven't you robots? done it already? <laughs> yeah, why haven't you done What's it already? What's holding you back from achieving <laughs> your dreams? Don't you need clothes? Don't you need to wear clothes? <laughs> Where do you live that you don't need clothes? Where do you live that you don't wear shirts? <laughs> and if Get you a shirt already. Buy clothes. a shirt from so you us. Might as well, you might as well wear our clothes. <laughs> you have to wear a shirt. I'm just, I'm just kidding. We, we love you all whether you buy a shirt or not. <laughs> buy two of them and wear, wear one... Like a pair of pants. Cut yeah, the sleeves yeah. off one and and have a sleeveless one and a sleeved one. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Or you know, um, get an extra big one and tie it around. Uh, tie the sleeves around your neck like a cape. Yeah. <laughs> Why not? That's cool. Do whatever. That's trust cool. me. That's cool. T-shirt capes the best way to go. Oh jeez. No matter what my neighbors say. <laughs> no matter what my neighbors. Um. To this week, we're talking about possibly. Nay, probably the weirdest thing that Daft Punk ever produced. I think that's fair to say. Yeah? Yeah, I really do. I think I'll go out on a limb and say the movie Electroma is the weirdest thing Daft Punk well, did. I think that there is a, a, a case to be made that it is weirder that they designed tables. <laughs> yeah, that's but true. But I don't think the subject matter of said tables is as strange as the subject matter of Electroma. Yeah, yeah. The plot of the table is very similar to the plot of Electroma. <laughs> <laughs> have you seen the table? I have seen. I looked, it's like I've the, it up, yes. the top of it is arrangeable. Uh, it's very black cool. and black very and cool. red squares, and you can um, change the arrangement of it. It's yeah. a very cool table. I don't know. I, I again, I, I think that like this Electroma is is is, is a body of work with his, with their their name on it, right? You could make a case that uh, Tomas's score for that terrible movie. Uh, is a strange thing to be involved in. You can make a case that there's some weirder stuff out there, but I don't think there is a weirder thing that is a Daft Punk thing. You yeah. Know? Yeah. Um, I think so. Uh, um, it's not every day that a, uh, an internationally renowned pop act makes a um, full-length feature silent movie. Yeah. Um, 
um, that uh, with the express goal of making a movie that you don't have to think about. Right. Well, it was. It was. I mean, it was. I we were so we were watching this together uh, on on this this the weekend leading up to our recording today, and you put it in perspective very well when you said this would be like if if. If you know, for lack of, of a better comparison, if Justin Bieber just put out a silent, weird avant-garde film without really explaining much and said, "Don't fucking think about, <laughs> don't this. think about just, this. Just, just, just watch it. it. I just wanted to make it. Just don't think it. about it." Yeah. Um. Um. You know. Uh. This. We'll get into it. This is Electroma, the movie. Um. It's. It's definitely not. It's probably the thing that they made that I revisit the least. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh. It's not. It's not. Um, it's not a very, it's not super fun. It's not meant to be fun. It's like a, it's an exercise in surrealism, uh, um, and it's an interesting project. I'm glad they made it. I'm glad that they pursued something that they wanted to do, uh, and we're gonna talk about it. Yeah, cool. Let's do it. Uh, if we've learned one thing about our favorite French robots, it's that they have a knack for taking an idea and running with it until the finished product is bigger and crazier than anything anyone could have hoped for. With Discovery, they wanted wanted to perfect their craft and spent years obsessing over single uh, uh, every single note. They wanted to make their own anime, so they chased down their heroes across the globe and spent $4 million to achieve that dream. And soon we'll see how their vision for a new live Daft Punk show would completely change the way mainstream electronic music was presented. Said Tomas, uh, we are mostly create, or we are mostly motivated by creation to make, at the most basic level, things that have never been made. This is what makes us want to move forward. Uh, in the wake of Human After All, Thomas Bengalter and Guimon uh, Manuel de Homem Cristo wanted to uh, make some weird avant-garde music videos. The ones they released, Robot Rock, Technologic, and The Prime Time of Your Life, certainly fit that mold. The one they didn't make, however became a whole project unto itself. The titular song of the album Human After All was released as a single on October 21st, 2005 with no video. The robots had started to work on one and their idea kind of grew and built into something else entirely. The idea, a music video about two robots quest to become human, deserved a little more consideration. So Tomas and Guimon decided to shelve it until they ex could sp expand the whole thing into a movie. The idea started when we, we, uh, we after watching um uh, the Japan Interstellar, the film we had made in Japan, and and looking at all these people in 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 inside a, a, a theater, watching it and saying, "Wow, there's like many things that haven't been done within the context of a theater," and 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 it's it was less about uh, trying to do a a, a a good film on on top of all the magnificent film that have been made rather than saying if we look at the theatrical experience of just uh you you have a 35 millimeter projector or a digital projector and 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 people in a room with a with a surround sound system what can you do that hasn't been done and whether you ins get inspiration from psychedelia or from or from uh, paintings or surrealism or, or or different things like that so they they talked about this a lot through the production of this movie, that it, they n weren't necessarily coming at it from the goal of making a great movie in terms of like a movie that pe like what people know of as a movie. They were more interested in the types of things that just weren't part of cinema <laughs> at this point. So yeah. they they didn't really want to make. Um, <coughs> Uh, uh, they wanted to work in the f confines of cliches. Like, there's nothing more cliche in a movie than a road movie. So they they set it up that way. But they wanted to use that platform 
as a way to do some shit that movies don't normally do. And yeah, <laughs> movies don't normally do what this movie does. Yeah, movies don't normally do a lot of what this movie does. Because um, we don't let them. <laughs> we don't. Yeah, mostly. It's mostly because we don't let them. Someone says no. Um, and that and that's again. They talked about it with uh, Interstellar. It's like, yeah, we spent four million of our own dollars. If it sucks, like no, who, nobody's gonna be mad at yeah. us. The same yeah. with I, this. I, I want to like point out though, because because you know on the on the money side of of things here, we we talked about this a little while we were watching the film. Putting four million dollars into Interstellar at the time compared to putting the money into Electroma now, or at the time Electroma yeah. was produced, is a much different equation for them. You know. Oh yeah. Financially, as as that. You know what though? This, I wonder because they're they haven't done the tour yet. They haven't done the tour yet, and they're they're off of a, a low selling record. But is a, is yeah. a like but but like what what's the budget on that's an interesting we'll get to the budget i mean it's not as much as interstellar i will tell you that right yeah. now um uh but yeah yeah i i think by now three albums in even before the tour they're they're set yeah. they've done licensing deals they've sold their songs to ads and movies and stuff you know i think they're probably I'm pretty I'm, I'm very curious I'm I'm really curious because I, I this is right when the the model changes to yeah you know you you the tour is the money absolutely um, but they also know that that's coming too at this right. point by now they probably know that that that's coming said Gimon making a full length movie was like a dream for us uh, we never planned for it to happen but after we directed the videos for our last album we decided to keep on working. We were in the shooting dynamic, so the movie came naturally. We didn't think too much, whether it's making music or directing a video. Whatever we, we do, we do it quickly. Uh, when we have a good work dynamic, we don't need to ask too many questions of each other. <laughs> so they're just kind of yeah. tootling around, doing what they want to do. Uh, added to Moss, we wanted to do it with the same spirit that marked our beginnings in music, with the most freedom, but also integrating all that we were fascinated by in film and audiovisual formats. We always had an urge to express ourselves artistically um, through all possible means without limiting ourselves musically. In that sense, we are very pleased with our career path. That's been a smooth and natural progression. Um, the most interesting thing about their creative process during the Human After All era, um, and we've talked about this, is like their kind of rejection of the precision and overthought that had elevated Daft Punk through the early part of their careers. Um, they'd spent the mid-2000s paring down their art to the essence, spending just six weeks on the album following instinct instead of obsessing over details. They brought that same energy here to the movie. Um, Tomas said there was no screenplay, uh, just a treatment about five pages inspired by surrealism. <laughs> they had brought a five-page treatment to the set, and they're yeah. like, this is the movie we're going to do. Uh, all five pages are on the screen. <laughs> we can see every page on the screen, baby. There's no dialogue. It's almost a film without actors. In general, when you write a film, you start with a treatment and you fulfill it. We wanted to do the opposite, to remove as much as possible, to work from nothing. Shooting it was not conventional either. The shoot was 11 days without a real storyboard, but the shooting script uh, was a precise work plan. So, yeah, I mean, this is this is not the way movies are made. But they had yeah. If you have five pages of scripts and you try to turn it into sixty minutes, you end up with twenty minutes of walking around. <laughs> yeah, I mean, <laughs> notably, like we'll talk about the walking around scene too. Yeah, I, I mean, notably, there the is there that is, was four of the five. I mean, pages. <laughs> really, there there is a significant amount of this film that is 
cool shots of walking or cool yeah, shots yeah. of driving. And like, I don't want to down credit the cool shots, but it's, I mean, it's an artsy fucking so they, yeah. film. And they got really, they, they got uh, compared to some really like art house movies of the time, like Gus Van Sant stuff or like Vincent Gallo stuff. The Brown Bunny. The, yeah. Yeah. Like the Brown Bunny has like a yeah, 15 minute absolutely. walking scene I was, too. I was, I was thinking that while we were watching it. Um, so that like, uh, um, yeah. Can you imagine if this movie did pulled up the Brown Bunny? With the robot, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, you googled it earlier. Yeah, <laughs> I google. I googled it earlier. Uh, um, that may this movie should have had the robots. Yeah, why not? yeah robots. Robots can have sex. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> we uh, Thomas says we started from certain images that uh, seemed suggest- suggestive, like the robot failing in his suicide attempt, burning, and from there we built sequences. And that aspect, our working method, got quite close to s- the certain practices of surrealism. The creation process was like a group game in which a phrase is formed from different words that each person is adding. But in this case, we happened um, to be that friend who had to retrace the phrase again and again. It was really crazy, similar to a dream and all of this led to a very free script open to all imaginable interpretations all are welcome it was like like this building this movie was like an improv exercise yeah i mean it feels like a cinematographer's movie not a director's movie. yeah and i think know? that i think that that i think that that's what they wanted to do they wanted yeah. to make really pretty stuff um the most the most effusive praise this movie got was for Tomas's lensing techniques. Yeah, I don't know it's anything. It's incredible. The stuff he was doing, like in the car and stuff, mm-hmm. he 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 really knocked it out of the park. I and and the way that they really talked about this movie, surrealism, psychedelia. Don't think about it. It's a movie to turn your brain off to. Again, uh, they they did what they wanted to do. They I don't think that they were necessarily interested in a story. I think they wanted to make something that looked cool. And uh, and gave them a chance to do something that they've wanted to do for a long time, which is shoot film. Um, it's something yeah. they've been interested in since before homework. They grew up loving movies. This this was not so much of a thing that they wanted out in the world as much as a passion project to to have fun doing something that they wanted to do for yeah. a long time. I mean, the, as far as like story goes, I mean there there is a a narrative there. It's just not complex on the surface. Yeah. It's lacking the dialogue, but I mean essentially there's robots they want to be human, they can't be human, they kill themselves. I mean like yeah. this at is, some level. This so is, I mean that's enough plot to build a really complex movie around. You know, yeah. I, a much more <laughs> complex movies have took, worked with with less, you I know. Took a, a, quote out of here from tomas uh but <laughs> so some interviewer was like i mean this is really bleak it's a movie about two robots killing themselves uh and tomas was like is it bleak they're robots they might yeah. be really happy for robots to kill themselves you don't know you don't know they might they yeah. might have got they might have gotten what they wanted they might have turned human at the end you have no idea yeah <laughs> that's a that's a man going through it <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it does like like he turned himself into a robot, and he's like, "It's actually good when robots we, blow up. We, we like it." Uh, I think this is the most singular uh, representation of Daft Punk's visual style because they yeah. don't really they do the the <coughs> they do the fresh video. Yep. But and they which do is, some videos, but they don't. They don't again, get a lot of chance to show their own sense of visual style. It's very right? interesting to me when you look at the visual stuff that 
they had they had creative control over that they were directing fresh again really basic idea but it's they they shot it in a difficult way that one shot crane thing over a beach like i think that tomas they decided to turn that music video into ram yeah yeah That's, that aesthetic they did is it, their whole last album and they did a they like a one shot through the beach up onto a crane seamlessly like that they it was a difficult thing for i think that they're interested in doing difficult cinematic yeah. stuff and there there was a moment specifically that i think of in electroma where there was a, a, a wider shot of the car on the highway going forward into like the horizon and the camera zooms in yeah. to above the car and pans up to seeing the road. There are some really cool shots like Absolutely. that. That if you don't think about like, like thinking about how did they get that shot specifically? Um, the, you, you yeah, know, the like, road shots are the most, the road shots are incredible. Movie. I mean, they're, they're very well done. They're yeah. framed very well. And again, I think they do, you know, like somebody who wants to see this movie to see a dialogue heavy narrative that gives them some resolution they want, they're going to be vastly disappointed. You but know, I think somebody looking at I'm this lo- from, a, <laughs> from a cinematic <laughs> and, yeah. uh, videographer standpoint, when I go into really a movie, respect it. When I go into a movie, I'm looking for a dialogue heavy narrative. <laughs> I'm just <laughs> no, like, I'm, but there I'm, are yeah. movies like, yeah. like, you know, like, like what they do, uh, and I'm not trying to fucking praise them too high but a lot of the way they frame shots is a lot of the kind of stuff you'd see like like i think of like the beginning of of the shining kubrick's the shining yeah. or whatever where a lot of it is that dead that wide shot of the car or going over the hills or like a shot of the scenery a in lot, a room a like, lot and i the, think that they do that cinematic but they they don't do the stuff connecting like it like stanley most. kubrick was a photographer before yeah. he was a filmmaker i think some directors view themselves as storytellers yeah. and some directors especially ones who are their own cinematographers view themselves as photographers right yeah and this feels like a movie directed by photographers absolutely yeah uh, a lot of the a lot of the road stuff reminded me of easy rider too yeah, yeah. yeah. A, lot, yeah. a lot of good um, yeah, yeah, yeah. parallels there um there was no script because there would be no dialogue although that Talkative little dog uh, Charles helped Daft Punk explode onto the scene with the video for Defunk. Our robot friends had connected with dialogue-free visual art since then. Their experience showing Interstellar 5555 at the premiere at Cannes helped them decide to make their first live-action movie with the same spirit. Said Tomas, I wouldn't say we're especially big fans of sci-fi, but sci-fi is good at using cinematic language without any dialogue. We really noticed the power of that when we were working on Interstellar 555 at Cannes. There were people from all over the world, and as the film had no dialogue and no subtitles, there was this sense that everybody was in the fantasy together. Um, So specifically, I think as a global band... We're not big fans of science fiction. We I ma- spent two million dollars turning myself into a robot yeah. and made two movies about robots. Yeah. But I don't really like science fiction, but I'm I portray a robot <laughs> but, who makes grooves. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but I'm I've built a complete. Like my narrative. whole career is I'm a science fiction musician. <laughs> yeah, um, that's very funny. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I did. Yeah, he had never saw. I think because they've talked a lot about the types of movies they do love and. Sci-fi is not a huge part of that when right. they say it, um, but yeah, it's a huge part of their career and aesthetic and narrative uh, over the course of their whole thing. Um, you know, robots. Robots is sci-fi. If I'm if I'm being frank, yeah. <laughs> um. Uh, yeah, and they're a global band with a global audience, and it 
uh, I think it makes sense for them to want to try to connect with as many people as possible. Yeah. Um, so a silent film about two robots who are striving to be human. Sounds pretty accessible, if you ask me. Uh, said Gimon, we're not aiming for an audience. We are just expressing ourselves. There's this idea that robots are not human, so they are cold. But that's not really the case. They can be anything you want them to be. <laughs> Hell yeah, man. What are you talking about? <laughs> robots can be anything, man. That's true. I like how much they think about being robots. Yeah. yeah. Well, I think like the thing about Electroma to me is, again, it doesn't, it's, I, you know, it's the same takeaway I have with human after all. It feels very intentional and it feels like yeah. they made what they wanted to make. And like, yeah, I guess people who wanted them to want to make something else are, are pissed off that they didn't want to yeah. make, I don't, no, you I know, don't, I don't think anybody's like pissed off about this. I think, I think they, unlike human after all, they did tour this press wise. Yeah. Uh, they they maybe they learned their lesson a little bit because uh, you can't put out something this weird and avant garde and just be like this speaks for itself. Yeah, uh, they did. They talked about it. They talked about their intentions. They talked about what they were doing and thinking uh, and what their goals were. And I think that most people saw it and were like, "That's cool," or like, "Eh, whatever." <laughs> like, it's it's fine, and, yeah. and moved on. Uh, and and we'll talk about it. It did kind of pick up a little bit of a late night, like midnight movie thing uh, as the year here went on. Um, added Tomas, it is not an intellectual film. It's more of a psychedelic, sensual experience. We would say we are we are making music for the eyes that people can experiment experience without really thinking. It's not at all intelligent. It only triggers some kind of physical and emotional reaction. Um, and here he is talking about like. This movie versus uh, considering like doing pop stuff in the mainstream and compared to their music, and and we felt that um, uh, maybe doing a, a a weird science fiction contemplative uh, 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 silent film like that in a way is more underground than uh, making electronic music, and it doesn't uh, distance us from 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 wanting to, to do both. But uh, it's it's funny to s to see today in the culture what can still be considered uh, uh, more or less non-accessible, and what what is not accessible is 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 then still exciting, and 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 uh, just from the fact of 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 uh, it, it's um, you know uh, going to a a movie theater at midnight and and meeting like uh, fifty strangers or hundred hundred and two hundred people. There is 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 some things that 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 tended to to exist uh, in the sixties or seventies. Then they disappeared with a videotape, and then maybe they can rehappen in 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 different scenario scenarios. You know. Cool. Um, they uh they also wanted to play inside the idea of pop art. Uh, they're big fans of Andy Warhol. Um, so this is kind of inspired by that. Uh, they wanted to, quote unquote, develop a whole aesthetic universe and make something surreal and bizarre by warping traditional and easily recognizable Western cliches into something new. Thomas likened, um, Thomas likened Daft Punk's use of the road movie and Electroma to using funk samples in house music. It's something that had been done over and over again, uh, but their goal was to kind of use that structure to create something new and unique to them. I mean, a little bit like what you can find sometimes in video games. And it was pretty much the same idea about finding a, 
an environment around around um, um, uh, getting into an experience and not really knowing what's happening to you and and obviously what's happening is not really a, a regular film experience i wonder uh, what video games i play i i'm getting i'm gonna guess like uh what's that one arcade game that's like california driving it's cruise just like a USA, cruise, cruise, yeah i'm gonna yeah. guess that this movie was heavily inspired yeah, by cruise in usa we were talking about that while we were watching it this weekend <laughs> it looks like cruise it looks USA. like cruise in usa the movie <laughs> i wonder this might i wonder if folks have a different relationship to this if if you have not if you're just a daft punk fan and you haven't seen a lot of art house stuff art school yeah. stuff like we do we we act and we're around a lot of this we host film festivals at our theaters we've been inundated with a lot of of avant-garde surreal art school yeah short I mean, films. We, we are in stuff we are people with a lot of patience for slow moving <laughs> slow burning whether it's stage or screen stuff yeah. and i'm not even saying that to be a, yeah. you know like it's bad or what i'm just it's it, it is a reality art house stuff there is a reality that there's a lot of slow moving yeah. visually compelling and vis- also we might be a little more jaded because we've seen so that much is absolutely you know, i think if it, you haven't seen art yeah. art house stuff i think it's cool it's and this is your first one maybe it's yeah it's you know really great i will say for you. Uh, of all the daft punk fans i've connected with over the last whatever months that we've been doing three months that we've been doing this show i've heard people who say their favorite thing that they ever did was interstellar i i've heard from a bunch of people who said human after all was their favorite album of theirs which was surprising to me uh, um, I have not heard a single person uh, come and say like Electro was my favorite Daft Punk thing. And if it is, you should send us an email and talk about it. Cause I'm, I, I would am love curious. it. Yeah, we I, know how other people feel about. Yeah, this and and it's like like this. This is an interesting movie. Uh, the the human mask. The highlight of the movie is when they put on the human masks. Yeah, that's that's incredible. Cool. I I and, and actually the scene. Uh, of them going into the bathroom and ripping the masks off. It's kind of a moving emotional moment. Like that whole section of the thing's powerful. I enjoyed um, the robot town where they got to interact a little bit with more robots. Yeah. Um, there's really cool and interesting and engaging things in here. Um, but it's just like, uh, yeah, it, it is what it is as a movie, you know? Uh, the, so the boys started to prepare to make a movie. Tomas read more than 200 back issues of American Cinematographer magazine. Uh, um, he like wrote in and, and bought an entire box cut, whatever, of their, their catalog um, because he wanted to prep and, and prepare. And I think, again... That shows, I think, where their priorities are for yeah, this thing. Like, absolutely, they uh, they knew what they wanted to do, and they knew they wanted to make something cool and artsy, and like looked awesome and looked uh, uh, great. And that's what they that's what they got. Uh, um, and then they get a crew together, including visual arts collaborator Tony Gardner, the founder of Alterion. Um, studios. He helped the boys develop the robot costumes uh, back in the day. We've talked about Tony. Uh, and here's a little clip of him talking about his help on Electromo. When we got into Electromo, what was interesting is we were trying to eliminate the human actor from the performance. Like Guillermo Miles' character takes his helmet off and you realize it's a robot underneath, it's not a person. And we did something very flat-faced that a person couldn't really fit inside. And then even with the hands, we went for hands that didn't have wrinkles or creases or, or any sort of joints. There was another version of the helmet that was created for that. We had to do like a whole town full of robots. By the time we got to those, the helmets had gone dark 
and all the electronics had been stripped out. The shape of the mouth changed on, on Tomas's. It went from a smile to a slit. Yeah, we haven't talked about that specific change uh, in in Daft Punk lore, and it's a it's a moment that a lot of Daft Punk fans point to. Uh, the silver helmet, Tomas's helmet, had a little cheeky smile for yeah. Discovery. It is no longer a smile in the human after all yeah, era. He's in his thirties now, and he's, he's very his 30s. sad. And uh, uh, he's not smiling anymore. Tony Gardner designed and created the Geico caveman. Yes, he did. That's um, very funny. Uh, yes, uh, they, uh, which means that he—that's he, that's how the Royksop shit got in there. I bet. Maybe you know what I mean? Because we both have talked about how our introduction to, to Royksop was that commercial. Yeah, like, I, I a child. I, I went and like online needed to find yeah. that information when I saw that. I googled that. that. That song was so weird. I'd never heard quite anything like it, and it was in a commercial that was playing every five minutes. Um, I bet that. I bet that it could. I don't know because I don't Tony know. Tony Gardner designs and creates those yeah. characters, and then it had to have been. It could be him. I could, like. I don't know what his connection to this music outside of Daft Punk is, if any. Um, but he's done a lot of stuff. He's done horror movie stuff. He did uh, um, famously um, Leslie Nielsen's <laughs> mask yeah, and Surf Ninja. Surf Ninjas. Um, so he was instrumental here in the design and look of the film. Obviously, helping fill out the town with all those robots. He also helped design those human masks and other element uh, elements of uh, production. Um, so he was he was a big help with the boys, and they obviously like working with him. Uh, they did a bunch of stuff over Discovery. They let him uh, take over the Prime Time of Your Life video. Uh, they work with him here, so uh, they they obviously dig Tony. Tony, if you want to come on the show and talk to us, we would yeah. love to have you. Yeah, come talk to us. He sounds like a nice guy. I've watched a bunch of interviews with him. I'm looking um, at him on Twitter right now. Just love like I love a it's like. This guy carved out his own little niche in Hollywood where he gets to make monsters and and little gross creatures and you know like that's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> he loves makeup and shit and he got the like he he uh he figured out a way to make an entire career out of that. It's very cool. Uh Tomas and Guimon also decided what exactly they they wanted to do for the movie. They had developed the idea and they were passionate about directing the film and being responsible for the cinematography, but what else did they want on their plate? For example, did they want a star in the picture? No. Uh instead of finding two actors <laughs> to play them though, um the robots pegged Peter Hertau and Michael Reich to don the Roy Borbot costumes. So these dudes were Daft Arts production assistants, uh, the, no formal acting experience, uh, uh, but kind of at the end of the day, it, to them, it didn't quite matter if they did they had acting experiences. The faces were covered, and they had no lines to remember, uh, and more importantly, they were the same size as Tomas and Guimond, and thus they fit into the custom leather suits that had been made for the human app for all robot, uh, the, that era of robot costume, those uh, biker suits, um, and that... That might have been one of the more deciding factors to let these two people star in their movie. And, and even several times uh, if in the interview process throughout this, Tomas went as far to say that this was a film with essentially without actors, which kind of sucks. Incredibly disrespectful. It kind of sucks for that those two guys. It's just, I mean, they don't have any lines or anything, but they're still there doing the movements and, and being the stuff. I get the sentiment, but, like, those guys were in those suits. These guys are Daft Punk – 
I connect with them musically so much, but their relationship to like writing, like scripting and yeah. acting is so different than yeah. mine. Like the way they think like they don't they aren't interested in dialogue they never have been <laughs> yeah to some end they aren't that interested in lyrics no absolutely uh, you know? yeah no and it's it's so different than the way i approach and think about yeah. stuff when it was the most surprising thing that i learned here because of how exacting they are in every other part of their career and how uh artistically controlling they want to be it very surprised me for him to be like we didn't have a script um, we had a loose idea and we shot it was like that. That seems like from what I know about Tomas, that seems like the most stressful thing he could do for himself. But, but I don't right. know that. Like, I think the other side of that is it does not sound like Tomas was making up his cinematography as he goes. It sounds no. like what he no. like. So, yeah. so again, right. is this an exercise in movie making or is this an exercise in perfecting There's the cinematography a- he wants? Because I think that level of detail and control is there. It's just not on what we would classically focus on in a movie. Um, when this, you know, like, like, imagine, imagine purchasing and reading two hundred back issues of a cinematography magazine. No, you know I refuse I mean? like to that, imagine it. I mean, I'm just saying that <laughs> yeah. is that is that is that yeah. is reading the direction oh, books on a, on on synthesizers and sh- yeah. you know that is instruction manual level stuff. If yeah. you're if you're Tony an Gardner was the puppeteer of. Thackeray Binks and Hocus Pocus. Oh wow! Okay. Wow. I love that movie. Um, um, there's a there's a there was like a eight minute behind the scenes featurette that went on title when this movie was uploaded to title because Daft Punk was a big uh, part of that. Um, and uh, there was this clip of them setting up the shot where they're gonna burn the robot, and Tomas uh comes up in in imperceptibly small like moves the rope like that it was a dummy that they set on fire for that part it moves his hand and then he goes back to the camera and then he hurries up and he moves the head a tiny bit and then he goes back to the camera and he scurries back up and he he's like so exacting yeah he runs back to the robot like six times and does like the smallest tiny thing to the hand or head uh that you could barely even like understand that he's moving something but yeah so like visually extremely precise but but other than that, they were just like, yeah, let's see what we get out there. Um, I mean, if you think about it that way, too, you know, not to again, I don't want to compound the 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 whatever the overlooking of the actors and the people in the suits. But even in the town, the thing that to me is interesting about the robot town is a lot. A lot of it is the slow motion pans over yeah. something happening. Yeah, Again, bullshit. what's There's, interesting it about it out. is yeah. the cinematography, and there isn't much even physical acting between the people. A lot of it is people standing there staring at them, or the, you know, like slow motion pan over a wedding, robot or wedding, now. robot kids. And yeah. just scratched his back with a screwdriver. Yeah, I did. Great. <laughs> I did. <laughs> I'm not afraid to admit I use tools the way they're meant to be used. <laughs> right. Right, right, right. However, I want. <laughs> I, uh, I I really enjoyed the the background actors yeah. and the costuming. That that oh, yeah, was yeah. very very cool. The 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 town when they're in the town and then they do the suits, uh, like they do that like Saturday Night Fever strut. Yeah. They're all feeling them. I I know that feeling exactly because I remember being I remember being like fourteen years old. And getting like an Abercrombie shirt or something, Absolutely. and they walk into school like I'm finally fucking here, and then, and then like 
uh, then I get bullied mercilessly <laughs> for wearing yeah. for wearing orange or whatever. It'd be crazy if I bought an Abercrombie shirt and I strutted around town and it melted in the sun, so I had to kill myself. <laughs> uh, so I get that energy absolutely. Um, did Tomas and Guiman want to do the music for the film? Nope. No. Explain Tomas. We didn't want to include our music, nor did we want to compose new tracks for the soundtrack because we felt that we were facing a different form of art and we didn't want anything to keep us from our work on the image. We wanted to eliminate any form of distraction. Furthermore, we handled the photography of the film, and that's really a laborious task, and we didn't feel like we could do both. That's also why we didn't act in it. We were too much... uh, we were doing too much work uh, behind the camera trying to capture what we wanted. As for the music itself, we really wanted to break the stereotype that musicians only listen to the kind of music they work with and they uh, then they only like and are passionate about the genre they practice in. It is something uh, usually and especially about jazz musicians, uh, and it's not like that, not at all. In fact, this can be verified by the tracks that appear in our film. So the final project uh, product features Todd Rundgren, Brian Eno, Sebastian, Curtis Mayfield, and more. Um. Yeah. Which I th- again, uh, the soundtrack was cool. Like yeah. the music they it set sounded to- like Daft Punk, like like stuff they would like. Moody and weird and cool and yeah. It's I, like, like the production of it, the production techniques of it sound like things that have influenced them, especially that Brian Eno track. Yeah, there was some like that. That was they they paired it really well. The the music really works and it. it uh, I, I like it a lot. Uh, another one of definitely the highlights of the film is the the intersection of this kind of like moody, weird music that they chose and, and the imagery. Cool shit. Very cool. Um, although the product, is, the, the final finished movie is kind of pretty inaccessible to a wider audience. Tomas uh, Ingiman obviously wanted it to look cool. Said Tomas, robots are really sexy. They're stylish and exciting. But on the other hand, they are not characters. They're just machines. And they are cold and completely fake. Um, they also chose uh, the 1987 Ferrari 412 for the robots to drive because of the car's resemblance to Kit from Knight Rider. That's yeah. very cool. Yeah, that that was Guimond's. That he he was like, yeah, it's Kit. It's Kit. It's fucking cool. It's awesome. That rocks. Um, uh, so uh, later in 2011, the Ferrari sold for 25,000 pounds at an auction, and EMI. Doubled that money. It was all donated to the British Red Cross. It had custom double subwoofers, which I don't know. I don't know why. Wow. But it's Daft Punk, so why not? <laughs> like that's you know. crazy. Uh, um, and the winner also got the original human license plate from the car, and Tomas and Guimond both signed it. Twenty five thousand pounds does not seem like an extraordinary amount of no. money for a Ferrari. Ferrari, like a a, a Daft Punk. Yeah memorabilia ferrari with that like that's t- yeah i mean people are paying three grand for their records like, i know yeah, sounds crazy yeah um but 2011 yeah. pre-ram yeah like, you know it's maybe it's, like 2011 might be one of those just kind of lulls in their their cultural relevance where somebody scooped it up yeah. i mean two, two scooped it up it's twenty five thousand. yeah i mean that just seems like a normal cost for a, a yeah you know 80s ferrari um, after all the pre-production work, uh, the robots took 35 millimeter Kodak stock down U.S. Route 395 to the desert landscape of California in Inyo County, kind of near the site of Coachella. They shot in the middle of nowhere and in a small town called Independence, California. The whole thing took 11 days, including that extensive night shoot uh, with the biggest stunt of the film uh, when the gold robot self-immolates and walks to his death. Um, they they That was part of the um, behind the scenes feature, too. 
uh, and they were all very excited about how far that guy got down the the desert. They didn't that they they didn't think he was going to be able to walk that far. Yeah, uh, but he got pretty far. Yeah, he, did. <laughs> he re- like we lit a guy on fire, and he didn't walk nearly that far. No, he did not. <laughs> uh, so, um, said Tomas. Uh, we wanted to do something with Electroma conceptually similar similar to those drawing books for children with number numbered points uh, that when put together form a picture. But we wanted to mess up the numbers or rather erase them and let the viewer be free to build their own idea of the situation, appealing especially to the physical impulses because the truth is that there um, is that the film came to us from a gut reaction. The result of some unhappiness and frustration that is impossible to describe in words. So again, we got we get these little snippets, uh, and they they are extremely private people, so they won't talk about stuff. But we've heard a couple times in the last couple weeks that they were going through some unhappy stuff at this point. Yeah. And I think I like from Human After All and from this movie. I think it's ob- obvious, but it is interesting the, those few moments that they let their guard down and and did come out and say stuff like that. You know that this was a result of ha- unhappiness and fr- frustration. I would bet that one day, whether it's sooner or later, we we get some insight I doubt into it. that from, why? from At this somebody, point, why? not from them, but from somebody around yeah. them. I I just would bet I, that one of the one of the most interesting things to me is like. They're, they have friends and collaborators that are obviously comfortable opening up and talking about working with them and the projects. Nobody ever talks about their, their personal lives or, 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 you know, what they do or their hobbies or their interests. Because, like, I think people respect – I think artists specifically respect what they've done for themselves. Absolutely. And, like, in the Daft Punk Unchained, they're talking about the, the anonymity and they – meet up with Pharrell and he does their interview in a hotel room and the camera follows him down to the lobby and he's just swarmed immediately and he gets into a limo and he's like that that is the freedom that Daft Punk gave themselves like I'll never be able I'll never be able to not do that yeah and um and I so I think that people in their lives uh, respect because of the respect of them as artists I think that I don't think that we'll ever find a ton more about them personally. I, I just fundamentally do not understand that. Like, like if you see us like swarming a celebrity, yeah. Like what? Like, like what are you gonna get? What are you gonna? They, are you gonna? Yeah, are, you gonna are they gonna be your friend? Pharrell, no. give me your hat. Paparazzi <laughs> and stuff. It's like oh, man. I don't need any pictures of Pharrell. Like yeah. I, I, you know, I've seen him. I get it. yeah. In New York, <laughs> I've seen pictures of Pharrell everywhere. I don't need yeah. Like in New York. I, I celebrities are approached a lot, but to some end, celebrities are also left alone. They can take the subway and stuff. Yeah. It's kind of just like, I don't know. That's such a weird thing to me. I yeah. get if you run into someone you really admire at a restaurant or something, yeah. being like, I love your work or something, but I don't, swarming a celebrity is so weird. Yeah. Um, yeah, for sure. I also looked it up. Uh, a 1987 Ferrari 412 now. All of them are like ninety thousand dollars, one hundred ten thousand dollars. That's wild. So somebody got a steal. Yeah, and I think that's just a model of car that has uh, continued to age well. You know, people are more interested. Like Like eighties cars for a while. I don't know. I feel like twenty years ago, ten years ago, people were not as interested in it. Didn't seem vintage enough or stylish enough. And now there's a resurgence. I don't know a ton of about cars. 
that was a cool car, but it didn't. It doesn't look like a Ferrari. It looks kind of like a nineties Honda. There's, that's that's the cool. 80s. That's there's the 80s an eighties aesthetic that became, you know, the eighties cool car aesthetic became like the nineties cheap sedan aesthetic. Yeah, is what, yeah. It's yeah. the problem. It so looked, removed, that car looked like my my yeah. Honda that I right. grew up driving because they from that's the 90s, that's what know? they were trying to be. They yeah. were trying to be a affordable copy of of this this cool eighties car. It's the same with like. You know, we look at the um, we look at the um, the late the late '90s Mustang or whatever, and now it looks like you know it looks like it's just a weird, long, yeah. stupid car. And you know, when after you see the 2000 whatever 2006 Mustang that looks like a muscle car right. again, all of a sudden that like Grand Am GT looking Mustang yeah. sucks. Mm-hmm. But if you look at the '80s Mustang, it's a box, man. That what 80s yeah. Mustang is a box. Like, what a like weird this. car that is. It really is. But like, it's for me. I was like, that's the worst Mustang ever. And now I look at it again. I'm like, oh, that's kind of cool. cool. Yeah. yeah. But I think that's the that's the idea with those 80s cars. Um, yeah. Uh, if you know more about cars, alive. <laughs> no, I, you know what? No, I don't care about cars. <laughs> I care about Daft Punk. If you know what kind of car Daft Punk drives. Keep it to yourself. Keep They're, it to yourself. They want their privacy. <laughs> they want their privacy. Uh, I did. I uh, at some point I found a an interview with them talking about driving. I guess Guiman is is um, now that he lives in California was very excited to drive because they are from Paris and they're like. Right. Like it took us a really long time to learn how to drive when we moved to California because we're from Paris, <laughs> and they they were like shitting on each other. Like Thomas was like, "I'm a much better driver than Guimond," and he was like, "Bullshit." Yeah, sometimes when Guimond's <laughs> driving, Tomas has to lightly turn the wheel for him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because or like yeah, because he's not gonna drop. Sh- yeah. Uh, um, Tomas said, um, "The essential essential theme to be really broad is the reflection of technology and humanity and how they react. The robots uh, are a good metaphor for the integration of technology and life because they are almost a hybrid of the two, even though they are not human at all." So the movie, in essence, two robots driving through the the desert come upon a town full of robots. Uh, they want more for themselves. They find this really weird laboratory that makes them these latex human heads. Uh, They're ridiculed by the other robots for wearing them. And as they melt in the sun, they decide to take them off. The silver robot is having a much harder time with this. Uh, um, He's really sad about it. They go through a walk through the desert. The silver robot gives up. Gold robot um, hits the silver robot's self-destruct button. He continues to walk. And uh, uh, upon giving up, um, the gold robot lights himself on fire and then walks to his death. So no- notably, if you haven't seen Electroma, but you are a Daft Punk fan, um, you've you've probably seen that scene because it is epilogue. Epilogue, epilogue uh, announcing the 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 end of Daft Punk is that scene of the silver robot. Um, it's it's recycled with um, touch touch on it. Yep. Um, so. So interestingly, uh, um, in Daft Punk Unchained, uh, Tony Gardner said, uh, when the robots self-destruct at the end of Electroma, we all thought, well, that is the end of the robots. So people in their circles took this movie at this time as either a that they are retiring in this moment or that they were retiring the robots. Like that was a that was a thought that a lot of people in their own lives had. Uh, Pedro said the robots dress as human and they try to kill themselves. Maybe they were trying to tell us something. 
Yeah. They should have retired the robots and come back as something... They should have brought like dumber. They should have come back as an alien or like a <laughs> they, mummy. Or what something. if they came back and but they kept those latex human heads? <laughs> just those gi- like that was that fuck now. Like they should have. They should have stopped doing the robots and pivoted to a different thing. They you know yeah over and over they again they've done on like superhero suits or something. Who cares? There's a you know there there's a fine line between um um kitsch and art sometimes and they they've towed it interestingly where they've done things that it handled less deftly or in the hands of a different artist would come off really dumb um yeah um like the the robots themselves like given given a less artistic touch the entire idea of becoming robots could have been really stupid and really lame. But I, I, I think to people not they, as invested in this as us, is it like, stupid I and th- lame? I think <laughs> I, you know, we talk about people who, so I, who, like where they lost people. They could you have know, yeah. after homework. Um, oh, they yeah they um they de- they by, by changing us. them sa- yeah by changing their sound a bunch of times they've lost folks. But I think I think if any group could do something like. We're not robots anymore. We're actually aliens. They could they, they could have done it. Yeah, they, they, they I, I mean, gotten more I and more think, theatrical. I think the respect for the robots comes with the lack of personal information. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, like yeah. if I look at like Dead Mouse or whatever the hell, yeah, that is a gimmick because it's not. You know what I mean? Like, like. I think a lot. Yeah, it's of, not in service of. It's of not in service of this mission of, of, of yeah. privacy. He takes that shit off and, too. Yeah, exactly. That's my whole point. I, I it, it learning in depth about how it is not a gimmick. It is, and I believe you know. I I choose to believe at, at a certain level that it is actually in service of making the music what it's about. You know, and I think that is. For me, that makes the masks not a gimmick. It makes them no. It's not. Know. Nobody's saying right, it's a gimmick. Right, it's right. Cool. But I'm just saying there it's are, cool I, as hell. I, think I love there, them. There are yeah. a lot of people who might not be fans of electronic music. Yeah. Like, like people like me, ten years ago or whatever the fuck, where that not understanding the difference between a Daft Punk suit and a Dead Mouse suit or, mm. or whatever. You know, mm. I think that that serves the point you taught that Davin's bringing yeah. well, up. Well, also, like, I mean, some people might not think it's very cool. Yeah. Also comparing them to people like dead Mouse or marshmallow yeah is an exercise in futility because they wouldn't have these masks without daft punk so you know exactly it's yeah. the same thing as like comparing right. creed to nirvana or whatever yes, it's like yes, well yes. well it's like a bastardization yeah, i mean we a, get a original bad, and cool get, idea yeah nirvana, we've talked about it before nirvana spawned a bunch of bad stuff that yeah when compared to nirvana honestly, isn't that much different uh, 10 years later uh, and i think that that has weighed a little bit on daft punk that they they have spawned a bunch of bad stuff like by mainstreaming live electronic music in the last 15 years a lot of a lot of bad music has come out of that <laughs> like yeah. like you know they, and and they are they're responsible for it or not responsible for it but they're they they heightened this culture and community to a way that allowed some like boring milk toast big room stuff to happen but know? i think time and time again you can see it throughout history the the truly innovative artists create something new and then it is corrupted and mass produced and stripped down to its bare capitalistic money making core or whatever you know so like i get it i get feeling you know feeling shitty about yeah. that at a certain level if you're the yeah. artist but like at the end of the day like you know, there, there's plenty of systematic problems that result in that yeah, in every the, genre. Yeah, yeah. It, it happens again and again. You know, the same like 
uh, um, a genre of music gets popular, somebody breaks ground, people ape it until it becomes yeah. boring in some way. Yeah. You know, uh, um, we're, yeah, we're, yeah, yeah, totally. All told, Daft Punk spent about um, 1.2 million pounds, which adjusted for inflation is about $2.3 million today. Uh, just like Interstellar 5555, Tomas and Guimon were invited to premiere the movie at Director's Fortnite portion of the 2006 Cannes Film Festival. Critics uh, at the showing praised Daft Punk's lensing techniques, like I said, uh, and the score. But there were reportedly many walkouts during the extended desert hiking scene that closes out the movie. Uh, it seems like the robots expected a little bit of this kind of reaction. Tomas said at the time, we expected it to be less popular than Discovery, of course. The film is experimental and inaccessible. However, it is a movie that does not require your brain to function. Uh, <laughs> added Gimon, there's a feeling of despair for some, but that's not what we wanted. Because the whole movie is without dialogue, it's more of a question than an answer. We wanted to make a question mark so people could project what they wanted onto Electroma. Some people see it as sad. Some people is happy. Everyone's different. Uh, and it is surreal, obviously. Here's uh, Tomas talking about the surrealism. The characters are robots, and in a way they're machines, so they're not human. And and and, um, and, and there is almost no story, no script. Or it, it would be something, a film where you take all, all of the element of what, what, what's inside a film. And, and, and in fact, the actor... Uh, uh, as the only human being is is the is the audience, and at the same time, uh, it's the audience that wanders through this environment, um, and and li a little bit like in surrealism, in surrealism, uh, the absurdity or the 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 the, the lack of logic uh, uh, makes uh, like when you look at uh, Magritte painting, for example, makes the 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 viewer uh, very active in trying to to put the numbers or try to put some kind of uh, logic. Um, so there was no traditional theatrical run after Cannes, um, but they did have an initial short run screening in Paris that, uh, after the festival got extended to a six, a six month thing. Uh, and there were midnight screening tours throughout England and Australia as well, well as a limited run in major U S cities. The only box office number I could find said it grossed $9,500, which I don't think that that it has to be more than that with all those midnight screenings and stuff. Uh, but um, if they if, if they got ten thousand dollars back on a two million dollar investment, that um, that's not good. <laughs> but uh, uh, yeah, considering the midnight screenings and so the stuff, I don't think that's entirely accurate. Um, but overall, I think the robots are pleased with the finished product. Uh, it's weird, um, but it's the shit that they were into at the time. Tomas said. What is more interesting for us is the audience. Uh, what can they imprint on the characters? To what extent are people moved by the robots? What instinctive drive does the audience as humans have to imprint some motivation onto these machines? Thoughts on the movie, guys? I, um, you know, I, 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 I don't know if I can say, like, again, I, I want to think in terms of did I like this movie or did I not like this movie, right? Yeah. And I think that's the natural impulse of people consuming something. Is it good or is it bad? And I think that's the wrong question again. And, and I, I want to, I again, point out the same thing I pointed out with Human After All, um, uh, intentionality. This, this, we, we, we talked a lot during this movie about what does this stuff mean we still talk about it it's caused us to ask questions about what they're thinking why they're yeah. doing this and i think that's the that's 
for me, you know, if I have to say, is this good? Did I like it? Yeah, because I like the conversations that came about. I like the things they made me think about. I like thinking about the cinematography. You know, I'm looking at the, the, the Wikipedia page right now, and one of the things that I find also kind of cool is that one of the um, few releases of, of this um, DVD – uh, is pa- the DVD is packaged with a forty-page yeah. book of film images, which every, I yeah, think again were, yeah. is very. It's not that's not a bonus special feature. That's every 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 DVD the, had uh, that. There, yeah, there were the there was the regular DVD, and then there was one with like a metal case. Yeah, the, but both of them, the regular one came with, with the, the soft yeah, cover. With the, the metal yeah. one came with a steel cover. But I think again that points to where their priorities were with this movie. Right. And looking back at at it after hearing this, I have much more appreciation for this movie than immediately after I watched it, you know, understanding that, that like, Oh, yeah. this isn't a lesson I, in trying to make it was a cool little, an artsy movie. This it was is a, a very, lesson in, in filmmaking. It was a very cool cinematography. Look, look into what, uh, artistically they were thinking at this time that, that looks great. It was a fun movie to like pull apart and talk about with my friends. It's not one of my favorite movies. It's not something it's the, the rewatchability factor of it is, kind of non-existent it's good psychedelia it's it yeah this is good you this know it's good to put this on in the background of someone else's album yeah, this you know, is, like it would be great on a party it would be great to throw on a tv at a bar where there's music playing and stuff because yeah. there's the visual visually it's very cool like you it can, like if it's just on in the background every once in a while you're gonna be like what the fuck is going on in this thing yeah. that's crazy uh it would yeah it would be a great it would be a great like party thing to throw on mute uh, like if people are like hanging out and stuff uh um and yeah i i um I like it. I appreciate it. it. Yeah. Like I said, the rewatchability factor is not great. It's not something that you can like, it's not something you're going to make popcorn and watch with a date, <laughs> but I, but I, yeah, it was a really interesting watch. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed watching it with my friends. Uh, um, and, uh, if you, if you're, if you're into Daft Punk and you want to check it out and you're bored by parts of it, fast forward. Like yeah. that, you know, that's what it boils down to. Fast forward I, watch to the it cool on parts. triple speed. You can do that on yeah. YouTube. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you gotta watch it fast. Like, and I, I think also too, like, you know, it's it is again worth pointing out that like this is, you know, the release, the the the, the film festival release of this is May May twenty first, two thousand six, right? A human after all is March two thousand five. Yeah. So this is I mean again this is the same breath of of of, yeah. of where they this, are, you um, know, theoretically. Yeah, like I said, this was same. this was a companion piece to Human After All in a lot of ways. They're they're not related, but they're linked stylistically, thematically, uh, artistically. This b- project was born from, like I said, the the Human After All music video was was stretched out into this project. So all of all of that stuff is wrapped up in this era of Daft Punk that like the, the innocence of their earlier projects is gone. Uh, they're, uh, they're living in a little bit of a cynical, uh, with a little bit of a cynical worldview at this point. Um, and as they grow and mature and learn, like that cynicism is rounded out into something more beautiful, uh, as they, uh, as their art grows. And, um, yeah, like, like, like we said with human after all, I think, all of this stuff is really interesting in the terms of the growth of these guys as artists. Uh, and um, it's a really cool window into into 
what they wanted to make and and how they go went about it and and what they ultimately yeah. produced. I think that there is a case that somebody could make to me right now that at some point their plan was to release human after all in this piece and be done. I think that I could believe, you know, if somebody wanted to make that case, I would listen to it and I I could put that somewhere in the realm of reality. Yeah. And this to me makes what we will be talking about soon, alive 2007, feel yeah. like a a a very much a not a, not a response to negativity, but an embodiment of them. And, you know, I don't know. It maybe that that becomes a not wanting to go out on this at a certain level, and then from alive two thousand seven, maybe then they realize, oh, we we you know we're gonna make a choice to come back yeah. and go out on Ram. I think you could make the case that that's how this goes. Mm -hmm. And and but but again, like especially, I, I was thinking that before you brought it up. Um, before you brought up some of the people involved thought that maybe this is the end of the robots, I yeah. was thinking, you know, I, I didn't consider that until this point. It, could this have been the plan? It could um, have been. And um, I wonder if... I if, don't think it's... A, it's, a, it's definitely not an accident that a clip from this was, was used the way it was yeah. uh, at, the, at the end of their career. Uh, whether or not they were thinking that th this might have been the end of the road for them as a band, we'll never know. But... but the way you know Tony said that thing about like we thought that this could be the end of the robots. Um, Pedro said that they might have been trying to tell us something. Yeah, they they ab absolutely very well could have considered um, retiring at this point. We, we'll never know. I, I will also add to that epilogue with touch on it makes it a much different feeling thing. You know what I mean? And I think that that yeah. for me combined with we watched a um, a cut of. Um, of this entire film stripped down into three minutes to uh, human after all right mm -hmm. on YouTube afterwards. And again, like I don't want to say, Oh, that trauma would have been better if it was a, a music video or whatever, mm -hmm. but I am, I'm very interested me personally in, you know, I would have loved this film scored by human after all, even, yeah. you know, it would have made more sense to me. And I'm not saying it should be that because I think they made what they wanted to make. And that's yeah. great. But like, again, epilogue with touch. I'm yeah. interested in that a lot more than I'm interested in the 20 minute walk through the desert, you know, with, yeah. to, to almost silence. Or yeah, whatever. we watched 72 minutes of a joyless French art school. Right. Film. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, and, and it's something. Yeah, uh, and it's well done. Something, and it's yeah, beautiful. Went yeah. to art school. It's yeah. cool. Yeah, if, for it, the like, summer, it's sure. cool as hell that they like that these guys get to do whatever they want. <laughs> like that, that's cool. Yeah. Um, um, it doesn't. Yeah, that doesn't mean that everything they do or is is great, or it has to be great. Like I, I don't know that they went into this being yeah. like we got to make a great no, movie. This, they did not. The go way they into were talking this. about it, I don't think that they were like we're gonna make a great movie. They mm -hmm. wanted to make something that looked cool. They wanted to mess around with a bunch of equipment. They wanted to get out in this desert and sh shoot shit. That's and when people ask me how I feel about Cars Three, I'm like, it's not a question of is it good or bad. It's what they wanted to do. And it's <laughs> an expression of what Mater's thinking or whatever. <laughs> but I really do think that like you know this is this is I remember uh, this is a project they did not set out with any consideration on will this be good or bad i, I really don't think that yeah, that was they, it. yeah they they spent 11 days hanging out in the desert shooting cool looking shit yeah. like that that's what they wanted to do i remember um one of my friends in high school uh when i like it was like i am definitively saying like daft punk is my favorite band and he was like 
have you seen their fucking movie? That shit sucks. Yeah. You love Daft Punk? That movie sucks. And I was like, I at that point, I'm like, no, I have, I haven't. I'm, just, I'm sorry. You think my favorite band's movie sucks? Yeah, he was right. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, that's, I mean, that's really it for yeah. Electroma. Um, um, you should have called it Electro Man. Oh. We're only one letter away. <laughs> Electro Man. Yeah, why not? Electro. That's what they are. They're Electro Men. Electro Men. That, that was actually their, um, their second choice after Daft Punk for a name. Right, Electro Man. They were like, all right, we're going to go with the, the thing that guy said about us in the review, or we're going to be called the Electro Men. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, um, we are officially closing the book on the human after all era. Yeah. What an era it's been. It really has been. Um, next week we're going to talk about possibly the best live album in music history. Absolutely. Not, Do you think that's part of the human after all thing? Because no. they use the bones of it. No, I don't. I think it's its own thing. Yeah, I, I guess like so. yeah. I, I think yeah. I think that yeah, because it's also just like the aesthetic is dip. Like they 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 rework everything. The aesthetic is different. Yeah. There's nothing. There's nothing dour about Alive 2007. Like they they worked all of that. Um, the they worked all of like the that kind of like downer aesthetic out of themselves yeah. with with uh human after all and electroma they they re-wake up uh ready to fucking party in a yeah, pyramid yeah. we're gonna have a blast i'm very excited i am yeah. very excited uh, for this and one. i'm yeah uh uh i defy anyone listening to this to name a better live album of music than alive 2007 i dare you name one i can't think of one <laughs> offhand <laughs> Yeah, me either. Um, so uh, every week we, uh, uh, at the end of our episodes, we uh, share with you a, mu- a, a song that's been an earworm for us. Might be something new, might be something old, might be something that we're we're just getting back into, um, uh, because we love house music and dance music, and we want to share it with the world. So last week I had mentioned how much I loved Digitalism back in the day, and how that was just a group that had kind of like fallen off my radar for whatever uh, uh, reason and Devin told me to go listen to their newest album and boy oh boy was he right this is um, Olympia from the Digitalism 2019 album JPEG Oh, it's so good. That whole album is good. Those yeah, good noises. Good very, noises. Very good noises. Uh, we had talked about how they were kind of like that big into that blog house electro yeah. sound, and the and they they've smoothed that out. Like that whole album is just like good grooves. Um, we'll see them. Absolutely, uh, put them on the list of must see acts. Uh, um, and the, yeah, there's just some really good grooves on on that whole album. Um, seem they seem less interested in trying to produce like singles now yeah they're just like putting grooves together on that like and there's there's a handful of like transcendent stuff like my my wife's not a huge dance music fan and she'll she'll groove out to like more 
traditionally structured pot like dancey stuff when i play it but these tracks she was like what is this this is really great and it's there was just there's just like comes digitalism yeah she, we're gonna get her to we're gonna get her to a show for sure because these were these are some of the, like the just purest dancey tracks that yeah. she's ever like connected with so it's good stuff look out for jpeg from digitalism who wants to go next uh, I picked I picked a disclosure tune. Um, disclosure is a big, big headliner act. Um, they're they're gigantic, uh, but they're really accessible and they make I don't know they they do a lot of stuff in UK garage, which I is one of my favorite genres. Um, I think they're accessible if you aren't into dance music and you want an entry point. Um, this tune I picked, "Love Can Be So Hard," is just a like an '80s synth pop tune. That's really good. Yeah. A little groover. Yeah. Uh, yeah. They're 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 one of those like huge acts that is still doing interesting stuff and like experimenting and um absolutely. They were one they were one because they exploded so fast, they were one that I kind of in my brain assumed were kind of like more big room soundy, like yeah, things that yeah, I yeah. it's something that I could just ignore. And then I heard a couple and I was like, that's not true. These like these guys really are yeah. doing some interesting things. So they I definitely did the same thing. I kind of wrote them off. Um, yeah, I, I think especially because at the time, some of the bigger things out of their camp yeah. were like remixes of their music that was a little less uh, just in genres that I liked. But yeah, man, they groove. And uh, they do a lot of their a lot of their shows are live where they're doing their own drumming and instrumentation and yeah. stuff. And that, again, is something I very much like to see. Very cool. Uh, so we yeah we talk a lot about uh, semi mobile disco here we're, we're all very big fans of semi mobile disco uh, and recently uh, last week I think we talked about the album delicacies a little bit more uh, and I uh, you know we, we like like uh, Andy in the vein of like going back and, and listening to something that maybe we haven't listened to or haven't given a chance uh, I've been on a delicacies kick all week. I would pick the entire album if I could, but I'm gonna pick the opener. I'm gonna pick uh, Aspect as my song of the week. For me, this album, this song specifically, feels like an exercise in the most complex simplicity possible or the most yeah. simple complexity possible. It's it's crazy how they take that boom, 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 and that song just goes mm -hmm. everywhere you could imagine taking that little groovy sound. Uh, and I love it. Check it out if you haven't listened to that album. Yeah, it's great. That's the other live album that is a 
is, is a competitor for live 2007 yeah. for me. Simeon those Mobile are the Disco. two I listen to so much. It's just called Simeon Mobile Disco Live. It's from 2003, and it is 13. one of my – or sorry, 2013, not 2003. Uh, uh, it's one of my favorite albums it's for sure. It's one take. Yeah. What, a, what an incredible yeah. thing. There are two uh, – we talked about jazz Man. last week. They're two geniuses, and you should check them out Absolutely. Um, but that's it boys that's electroma so one more time what do we got next week what do you say w- one one more time yeah right <laughs> what do we got next week <laughs> one more time we're gonna celebrate boy oh boy are we gonna celebrate yeah, we are. oh yeah um the the uh the thing that i that is the singular project that elevated them from uh influential like to like Mount Rushmore of dance music, right? Yeah. Like they were legends yeah. and they legendary. Were a, they were a studio band. They were right? legendary. They haven't been out on the road they in ten years. They hadn't. They had not toured for ten years. Um, uh, and they came back with their first live show since the nineties, and uh, they elevated themselves from dance music legends to um to like pop music Mount Rushmore with a single tour. They've completely changed the way that people play music live with a little tour and album called Alive 2007. Hell yeah. And that's what we're going to be talking about possibly for multiple weeks because our listening back it was it's <laughs> the human after all episode is three hours yeah, <laughs> and, right. we, and we put that one out as one. What a nuts this thing. one is uh, this one might be uh, in that vein, uh, but we're going to chat all about it, um, how they did it, what they did, uh, what people got out of it, uh, um, why it was so big. And then um, we'll go through. Um, I don't know. We, I, we can go track by track yeah, uh, with a live 2007 the way we couldn't with a 97. We'll go through track by track and get through all of it we'll groove we'll crisp we'll vibe yeah to a live 2007 awesome um i'm andy you can reach me uh on twitter at dr good tweets dr good tweets or on instagram at andy reed andy reed r-e-i-d i'm darren i'm uh the most darren on all the social media platforms that's t-h-e-m-o-s-t-d-a-r-r-e-n also i produce music as a plumb bomb a-p-l-o-m-b-b-o-m-b go follow me on spotify and all that all that stuff uh and check out i do some uh some streaming live streaming video game content on facebook gaming at uh, dsg gaming so check that out as well yeah i'm devin jetski you can follow me on spotify please or uh, any of the music things and listen to my music and uh Tomorrow, if uh, you go to if you go to my Spotify page right now, I got we got a show tomorrow. And yeah. if you're around and you want to come listen to spin music, come to that. Yeah, if you're around Detroit, we're we're gonna be spinning music outside. Cool, awesome. Um, all right, on that note, everybody, we will see you next week. We love we'll you. We'll hear you. Next, you'll hear us next. You'll week. hear us next week. Exactly that. <laughs> bye bye. Hello everyone. Alive 2021 is a member of the Planet Ant Podcast Network and was created by Andy Reid, developed by Andy Reid, Devin Roseney, and Darren Shelton, with technical production by Darren Shelton. For more information, please visit alive2021.com.